pray for transformation. I pray for a new perspective. I pray that we'd see things in the new light of who you are and what you've done for us. And I thank you for that in the wonderful name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Um, There are some sermon notes for this morning's service. So if you are following along on the sermon notes, uh, they are available. If you didn't get any, if you'd like to put your hands up, we can make sure that we can get some into your hands. You can also, if you would like, follow along with the sermon notes on version. Um, you can check that out. If you just go to uh, the version app, then you go to the events section, and then you type in find and put in Infuse Church. You should see this morning's sermon notes just there. Um, so that would be great if you can do that and follow along. would be absolutely marvelous. Okay, so we're going to continue this morning with uh, the series uh, that we've been doing on 2 Peter. And uh, this is the, the last installment of that series. Uh, in the first installment, <coughs> installment <coughs> we looked at... Um, me, 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 <coughs> me, 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 me. <coughs> We looked at being fully equipped, and uh, in the second installment, we looked at whose voice carries more weight. This morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 3 of uh, 2 Peter, so uh, I hope you're ready for this morning. Give us a wave if you're ready. Excellent. Praise God. So a pastor actually went to visit an older man in his congregation. The pastor said to this man, he said, At your age, you should be thinking about the hereafter. And the older man says, Oh, I do that all the time. No matter where I am, whether I'm in the living room or upstairs or in the kitchen, he says to himself, What am I hereafter? If you didn't get it, ask someone else. All right, so. Author Philip Yancey says this. He says, Although most of us believe in an afterlife, no one much talks about it. Christians believe that we'll spend eternity in a splendid place called heaven. Isn't it a little bizarre that we simply ignore heaven, though acting as if it doesn't matter? And my question to us this morning is, does heaven matter to us? Does Heaven really matter to us. See, Jesus believed that heaven mattered. He said to the disciples, they've come back from this missionary trip, and you can read that in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. These 72 disciples come back and they say to Jesus, what an incredible moment we had. He said, they said, Lord, even the demons uh, obeyed us when we use your name. And Jesus said, yeah, hey guys, exactly, exactly right. He said that I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice rather because your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice rather because your names are written in heaven. So does heaven really matter to us? What we think about heaven actually determines how we think about the present. C.S. Lewis said this, 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. That's challenging. I found that challenging when I read that quote, you know. So have a listen to this, though. This is what the Passion Translation says of Luke chapter 10, verse 20. However, your real source of joy isn't that these uh, spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. It's where our our position comes from. It's where our our identity is is based. It's in that we are a part of the kingdom of heaven now. We are God's sons and daughters and that that's because who God has made us to be that we have this authority that we can use that God's given to us. See, we are citizens of heaven living on earth. We're ambassadors of a different realm. We have a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that we represent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21, and you can read that in your own time, talks about us being ministers or, or ambassadors of reconciliation, We're, with Christ making his appeal to be reconciled to God through us. See, we are here like an ambassador into a a different nation. We represent, if we were to go to a different nation, say uh, the United States or England or some other place, as an ambassador to those nations, we are representing the country for who has sent us. So we've been sent by God to represent the kingdom of heaven, and therefore we are ambassadors of a different realm, a different kingdom here on earth. Our kingdom is, is the kingdom of heaven. We are a part of the kingdom of God. We represent God in the kingdom. So when we're living on earth, we are not of this particular place, but we live in this place. Does that make sense? And that's who we are. That's who God has created us to be. And it's so easy to get swamped with things here on earth as we get squeezed by our jobs and our finances and, and things are tight and our relationships are under pressure. See, with our way of life, the stresses of raising families and the demands of work, the challenge of health and finances often makes it hard to meditate on the wonder of heaven itself. To pause and take a moment to think about the kingdom that we represent, the realm that we represent. See, Peter addresses this very concern in his letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 14 out of the King, New King James Version says this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, in other words, the things of the earth, you know, and since all these things will be dissolved, what manner, everyone say manner, what manner of person ought, everyone say ought, you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. See, the word manner, everyone say manner. The manner, the word manner means what sort of person we're supposed to be. And the word ought, everyone say ought, it's, it's, it carries this idea of, of necessity. We ought to be like this. So, see, there's a big difference between what we are and what we should be. Joseph Stowell, Stowell 
pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, wrote this. He said, when we begin to believe the reality of the other side, we start behaving differently on this side. This is what drove the disciples out into their world. They had seen firsthand the reality of the other side. See, it changes how we're going to live here on earth when we have a reality, uh, have seen a reality of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven. It changes the way that we're going to live here. It changes so much. The word ought refers to an obligation, including the idea of owing a debt to someone. So the question becomes is, do we sense an obligation to live with an eternal perspective? And Peter says, if we don't, we should. Heaven is our real home and we need to live accordingly. What kind of people ought we to be? In 1 Peter 2 verse 11 out of the Message Bible it says this, Friends, this world isn't your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Powerful words and challenging words when we start to drill down on some of this stuff. So we as Christians live in the world, but we're not of this world. It's not our place. So if it's not our place, how ought we to live? How ought we to live as citizens of a different kingdom? And Peter, he helps us and provides us with three important ways to live as we look towards heaven. The first way that we to live is to live a life of devotion. Live a life of devotion. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? Peter says uh, that, that an eternal perspective will change the way that we behave in two very practical ways. Number one is in holy conduct, and number two, it's in godliness. See, if we were to compare godliness and holiness this way, it's, holy conduct refers to an action, whereas godliness refers to an attitude. Holy conduct refers to the way we live our lives, and godliness refers to the spirit of reverence within us by which we live our lives. See, holy conduct refers to that which rules our behavior, and godliness refers to that which rules our heart. A life of devotion outworks itself in our heart and in our behavior, our motives and our actions, our attitudes and the duty with which we live life. However, not because we have to do these things, it's because of who we are devoted to that we do these things. See, the first result of an eternal perspective results in purity. And I love it when it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, a lot of people live life like it's all up to God for him to, to change the way that we live in this world, that there's this grace of God. And I love the grace of God. And it empowers us to live a life of holiness and blameless living in, 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 in this world. But we've got to cooperate with it. There's this, this area where there's things that we know we should not live that way. So we make a decision, empowered by the grace of God, not to choose those things anymore. And to live differently from that. Lying or cheating or stealing and things like that. We make a decision because we know that that's not what God wants for us in our life. So when we make a decision, I'm not going to do that anymore. 
We're empowered by the, the grace of God to live in that way. He helps us to reinforce a decision that we want to live how God wants us to live. Does that make sense? Another, another way of saying this is what we feed grows and what we starve dies. I've noticed this with plants. I've noticed this with weeds. They just, they, I don't know, weeds feed on anything. They just keep growing. But you know, what we feed grows and what we starve dies. And this is what it means to purify ourselves. There's stuff we know that we should not be doing because the Bible clearly talks about it. And what we need to do is to cooperate with what the Bible says because Jesus has said it, because God the Father has said it to me, I'm going to live this way. And Father, I'm not going to do that anymore. Father, would you help me to live the way that you want me to live? Would you empower me to live your way? And as we lean into the grace of God, he empowers us to do that. It's not about uh, like um, self-discipline or, or so, uh, those sorts of things. Now, the Bible talks about self-control. But, you know, it's not about us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, I've made a, you know, I'm a millionaire because I've made myself like, you know, we could ever do that. But there's this area where we just need to lean into the grace of God by, by simply cooperating with what God says. It's a simple cooperation that God is looking for. Randy Alcorn says this in his book on heaven. He says, if our wedding date is on the calendar and we're thinking of the person that we're going to marry, we would not be easy targets for seduction. Likewise, when we've meditated on heaven, sin is not terribly appealing. It's when our mind drifts from heaven that sin seems to be attractive. Thinking of heaven inevitably leads to pursuing holiness. High our high tolerance of sin testifies of our failure to prepare for heaven. Heaven should affect our activities and our ambitions, our recreation and friendships, and the way that we spend our money and our time. If we believe that we will spend eternity in a world of unending beauty and adventure, how is that affecting the way that we live today? Even taking our eyes off impurity, how much time will we spend or want to spend in, in investing in things that do matter? See, the, the second thing that the Apostle Peter says that results from an eternal perspective is godliness. Godliness. The, the word literally means to worship well. I love that. It's, it mean, godliness means to worship well. It describes a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. It's lived out as an act of worship. It's not just about Sunday. It's about a lifelong devotion that because of who Jesus is, because of who God the Father is, that we say to ourselves, I'm going to worship my God with my life. And that includes Monday through to Sunday, not just a Sunday. If we believe what Peter said, it's, it'll be seen in the way that we live and our personal choices in life. What will we do with our time? What will we do with our abilities? What will we do with our money? All we have is God's and we are simply acting as stewards who will one day be held accountable to, in regard to how we handled the master's riches. What are we doing with what he's given us? 
How are we spending the time that we have? How are we spending and investing our abilities, our talents, our skills, our strengths? How are we investing our money? See, Matthew 6.21 says, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what he's saying is that if you have a heart for your house or your car or your boat, there's nothing wrong with those. It, it will help us then to determine where we're going to invest our time and our money. If we have a heart for God, then we're going to put our treasure where God is at work. See, if we have a heart for missions, then bring some jocks and socks next Sunday. Let's reach out to the community, the homeless community, by just simply providing some, some nice clean jocks and socks to be able to help them and to bless them. See, secondly, is not only do we live a life of devotion, we can live a life of expectancy. See, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 says this, Looking for, everyone say looking for. Everyone say, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for, everyone say, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward, everyone say, looking forward to these things. See, Peter uses the phrase looking for or its derivative three times in this passage, in three verses. It carries the idea of expectancy, of, of waiting with alertness, of being ready for what God's doing. The word looking is, is in the present tense. It indicates this is our habit and our lifestyle. So what he's saying is, well, are we continually living with an eternal perspective? If we do, it will radically impact what we're looking for in life. The idea is to wait, to look for, to anticipate with an attitude of expectation. The coming of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of heaven provide some of the strongest motivation for Christian living that we will ever find in life. We will be, uh, what we believe about the future determines how we're going to live today. See, Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13 talks about ten virgins. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The five who were wise looked with expectancy. They lived wisely and they readied themselves with oil in their lamps. They'd done what was required. They'd got to do the things that were necessary in preparation for the bridegroom coming in and being a part of the, the wedding feast. The five virgins that were foolish, they lived without expectancy. They didn't really expect him to show up. And that showed in the way that they had little preparation and had no oil in their, in their lamps. Give me all in my life. I won't go there. That was really old, wasn't it? Oh boy, there you go. So the question isn't whether we're looking for the Lord to come, but how we are living down here. Because it's a reflection of where our focus really is. Are we looking with expectancy, believing the reality of heaven? Thirdly, so we live with devotion. We can live a life of devotion. We can live a life of expectancy, of faith in God. And thirdly, we can live a life of diligence, of diligence. 2 Peter 3.14 says, be diligent. Everyone say diligent. 
So be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. See, what we're looking for should have a direct relationship of who we're living for. Who we're living for. The writer of Hebrews urges his readers onward in their Christian walk. He says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 to 12, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, don't give up. Keep going. Don't grow weary in doing good, it says in Galatians. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Just have the, the tenacity and the, the, the intestinal fortitude to say, you know what, I'm not giving up. I am going to continue to walk this road no matter how hard or how difficult it becomes, no matter how impossible it becomes. I'm going to follow Jesus because Jesus never stopped when it got hard. If you want to know what hard's like, have a look at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is down on his hands and knees and he's praying to the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not what I want. I want to do what you want, Lord. And if you want me to go through this, then I'm going to go through it. So Jesus didn't give up when it got hard. Daniel didn't give up when it got hard, didn't deny the Father, didn't deny his relationship with God the Father when Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was, chucked him in a cave full of lions. Continue to believe and to hold on to the promises of God. He says, even if uh, my God doesn't like uh, uh, rescue me, I'm still not going to deny him. Powerful words. Great motivation. Someone else has gone before us. Abraham, how much courage did it take to leave his homeland to go to a place that he had no idea about? God says, I need you to go to this. Uh, you need to get going. And go, Abraham says, okay, no problem. Just goes. Uh, then Abraham, he's got this only son, the son of a promise. And God says to him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham's going up the mountain and he says to his servants, you know, uh, wait here, we're, we are going to come back. He had faith to believe that who God was was true, that he would like either raise his son Isaac from the dead or provide an alternate uh, sacrifice. What faith. That's why their names are recorded in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the chapter of faith. So many other stories recorded there of people who just didn't give up. They didn't give up. They continued to stay the course. We, we read, you know, like um, so many men, great men and women of God. Mother Teresa didn't give up when it got hard to feed so many orphans and people and look after so many people in India. Billy Graham didn't get, give up when it got hard. So many people that didn't give up when, it when they could have. See, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. See, we are to be without spot and blameless. This refers to our character, what we are on the inside, that who we are is who we are. There's no hidden areas within us. 
Secondly, it says we're to be blameless. It refers to our reputation, how we relate to others. What you see is what you get. These two terms speak both about character and reputation. They speak about what we are in reality and what people think we are. See, Peter says that the result is that we will be found in, by him in peace. I don't have to worry about, like, uh, if, if, uh, if I, you, know, you find something out about me because what I've said to you is true. I don't have to try and, and make up more lies to cover the ones that I've said in the first place. Therefore, I can be at peace. I'm, I'm living a, 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 an open, honest, transparent life. You don't have to hide behind that. You don't have to make up other stuff. Is this making any sense to anybody? Okay. See, we can be at peace because we've kept short accounts with God. We've walked in intimacy with Him, talking to Him about our troubles, our trials, and our temptations. You know, we, we, part of my, my morning thing when I, I, I get up in the morning, I, I'm saying, God, I just thank you so much that you're here. I thank you, Lord God. And I, and I lay everything at your feet this morning. I lay every, every strength, every ability, every talent that I have. I, I lay at your feet every temptation I have. See, it's okay to talk about your temptations to God. Like he didn't know that they were there. What's that about? He knows, all, he knows how we're wired. Why do you think that the devil knows how we're wired? That's why he keeps punching those buttons. That's why I need to go to God and say, God, help me with these temptations. Help me with my thinking. Help me with the way that I live. I can be at peace then. You know what? God's got me covered. God's got me covered. I'm okay because I'm in this with God. I'm leaning into his grace. I'm leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life where I can be a great witness for my king and my God. Because we've been completely open and transparent with God, we know that He knows. And there's peace in being known and knowing. Peter's saying that we can live without fear because we've walked with devotion, with expectancy and with diligence. If, if we were told by the Lord that He was taking us home in the next 24 hours, either through Him coming again or through His death, we can be at ease because we know where we're going. There's a peace that can come upon us. See, Jesus could go to the cross because he knew where he was going. He knew where he was going and he, he knew who he was going for. How are we living today in the light of eternity? Living lives of devotion, of expectancy and diligence is totally possible when we live in the light of eternity. Have a listen to this out of the Passion Translation, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I love the way that it phrases this. This is it. It says this. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, each affirming faith's reality. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. Verse 2 says, we look away from the natural realm. I love that. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. 
His example is this, because his heart was filled with the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully, the writer says. How Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures, forgetting your destiny. If, I, if that doesn't talk about living in the light of eternity, I don't know what does. He's saying just, guys, get a vision of heaven. Get a vision of what God wants to do in your life. Have, have a listen to this out of the New Living Translation. This is how it says it in, in the New Living Translation. Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. In other words, there's this thing that's on the other side of the cross and he saw that more and bigger and beautiful and stronger and something that he desired greater and he knew that it led through the cross and he was willing to go through the cross for the actual reality of going back to heaven and enjoying fellowship with you and me. He loves us so much that he went through the cross. Because of the joy that was set before him. He's, and, and that's why I love it where it says, we look away from the natural realm uh, and we fast because his heart was filled with the joy of knowing that you would be his. God the Father has set this up. Jesus is there with incredible courage, incredible love. The love of the Father for people, for mankind. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His Son who was going to go through the cross because there was a joy on the other side of the cross. Let's look to Jesus as our example of how to live in the light of eternity. Let's look... Let's let the love that he had for us in going to the cross be the compelling reason that we live with devotion, with expectancy and with diligence. Let's make sure that we don't disqualify ourselves in living with purity. Let's make sure that we live righteous and holy and, and with devotion and with expectancy and with diligence in our lives because we know that there's so much more on the other side of the eternity line. And this is the whole premise of Peter's thing here. He's saying, you know what, we can live fully equipped. And there's a voice that carries a greater weight in our lives. But there's a light that we can live our lives in, in, in the shadow of. And that's the, the eternity. We can live in the light of eternity because we captured a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Have a read of Revelation one day. How there's this incredible picture of, of the throne of grace. Oh, I have, an, I have a really good imagination, you know. But I don't think I could ever imagine the beauty of who God is. And it's going to take an eternity to find out exactly who he is. His attributes, his character, the depth of his love that he has for us. 
See, we can go through the storms of life. We can go through sickness. We can go through financial pressure. We can go through family struggles. We can go through having wayward kids and wayward parents, people that are off the rails. We can go through heartache and pain as as we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't give up in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Living in the light of eternity sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And as we look to Jesus, we have all that we need to live a life of devotion, of expectancy, and of diligence. Let's stand. As I was praying about this this morning... I felt that the Holy Ghost wanted me to speak some things into you this morning. See, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to give us new eyes and new heights today. New eyes to be able to see the reality of heaven. But also new heights to see things from a different perspective. And this, this was what I felt God wanted to do with us today. It's not that we ascribe to greater levels of accomplishment and ambition, that we have this new height that we're going to see things from, or we go to a, a mountaintop. Of the, God wants to take you to a higher place than a mountaintop. He wants you to start to see from the eternal perspective timelines your timeline how there's this thread through eternity that you suddenly start to see your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandchildren and you see their lives starting to take shape and be formed and how they intersect with Jesus how they intersect with with God the Father and there's this thread of Jesus going through the scarlet thread, as, as it were, that people say. There's this scarlet thread that runs through eternity. God wants to take you to a place where you can start to see the reality of eternity in light of your ancestry going forward. It's not about seeing your trials through different eyes. It's about seeing the timeline and longevity of going into heaven and the people that will be affected because of your life today. The people that you didn't think that ever heard you talking about, you went to church on Sunday. They're going to be there because they heard something that you said that started them on a course of investigating what this Christian life is all about. You might not hear about it, but trust me, people are going to be in heaven that you had no clue about because you said something at an opportune time where their lives intersected with yours. That's the perspective I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into your life this morning. To see things from an eternity. To see things from a heavenly perspective this morning. To see in, a, in the light of a new, with new eyes. With fresh eyes. With the eyes of heaven this morning. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they won't faint. I prophesy over your life this morning that God is going to raise you up like eagles. Raise you up like eagles. 
And that you will find new strength. That you will soar like a wings of eagles. And you will run and you'll not grow weary. In this walk of life that God's called us to. Sure, we get physically tired. We get physically weary. We get mentally weary. We get emotionally weary. But you know what? In knowing that God is for me and not against me, I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to go grow tired of looking at the Word of God for my hope and my strength and the source of everything that I need. I'm not going to grow weary in the things of God. I might grow weary physically, but spiritually I'm going to soar. I'm going to continue to believe. I'm going to continue to prophesy over my life. I'm going to continue to prophesy over your life. That God is going to make it so that you are run, able to run and not grow weary. That you walk and that you won't faint. There'll be times that you'll run and times that you'll walk. And there'll be times where you're just going to let God do what God does. You're going to sit down. You're going to let, just bask in his, his, his glory. It says, uh, what's, uh, be still and know that I am God. That be still actually talks about to let drop. Be still. Let drop. Let, let go of what you're hanging on to. Let go of what's troubling you. Let go of, of your family. Let go of the financial pressures and just let God. That's grace. That's leaning into grace. That's leaning into the rest that God the Father has made available to us through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonder of your presence this morning. I've done all that I can. I've I've, I've shared everything that you put on my plate. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Where people are struggling with so many issues, with so many problems, pressures, with sickness, with finance, with mental health, Lord God, with Challenges in the workplace, challenges later in life, challenges in the early parts of life. I I pray, Holy Spirit, come and breathe afresh upon us this morning. Raise us up like wings of eagles, Lord God. Take us to a place above the mountaintop where we can see from a different perspective and start to lay hold of that to which you've laid a hold of us for. God, help us to run with perseverance the race that you've called us to race. Father, I thank you for the blessing of God upon your people this morning. Bless them, encourage them in the wonderful name of Jesus. If you would like prayer this morning to see from a different perspective, to lay hold of something that God's got hold of you for, maybe you know you just want to, 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 to rise to a new level in God, I, I'd encourage you to come out the front. I'd love to pray with people, but if not, that's cool too. If you want some prayer, come. Otherwise... I'm just going to let Luke do his thing.